0: Good morning, East Chestnut Street. (laughs) Let me start out by sharing that this past winter, Josh and I uh, took the Exploring Membership class with Todd. um, And we had yet to officially join as members because we didn't really want to speak in front of the church. Um, But clearly, that didn't prevent me from getting up here. (laughs) So thank you, (laughs) Daryl. Today's reflection is based off of chapter six in Stuart Murray's The Naked Anabaptist titled Good News to the Powerless. And to be honest, the topic of Good News to the Powerless was a concept that I wrestled with as I thought through the community it's referring to and the very term itself. Um, It's been complicated for me and let me tell you why. I've worked with communities that have experienced oppression my entire career abroad and locally. I started this work at Messiah College as a student leader working out of the Agape Center, also known as their service center, organizing volunteer groups to serve with the local community-based organizations in Harrisburg. It was during this time that I really discovered my calling, which is social justice work. Not only was I given the privilege of organizing these volunteer opportunities for students that supported local Latinx and migrant efforts, but I also got to work with other student leaders to develop alternate student chapels that focus on social issues such as racism and privilege, climate change, immigration reform, among many others. I thought that I was serving as the voice for the voiceless, drawing people's attention to the destruction and hurt in a world caused by oppressive institutions and structures. After graduation, I traveled to Santa Cruz, Bolivia with Mennonite Central Committee to work as a social worker with their SALT program for a local daycare that was built by local Mennonite churches. This daycare supported the poorest workers in Santa Cruz usually single moms with quality child care so they wouldn't have to choose between leaving their children at home unattended or taking them to dangerous work situations. It was in Bolivia where I heard, learned a hard lesson in humility. I was an American Christian, thinking that I was showing up humble, ready to learn, but in reality I infused so many of my own Eurocentric perspectives and thoughts through this veiled idea of empowerment. I remember one time participating in a team building activity with the daycare staff where we had to share aspects of one another that we appreciated, but also share areas of growth. I'll never forget sitting there while the kindergarten teacher pointed out high tendency to think I knew best and didn't take the time to listen. It was a hard truth to hear as the last thing I ever wanted to be was another missionary pushing into a community to tell them what to do or not to do, how to live or how not to live. I thought my efforts were empowering this community. Empowering them towards what? So when you step back to think through this notion of power as the topic good news to the powerless invokes, I would challenge a reframe of the term powerless. Often when we think about oppressed communities or low-income communities or poor communities, we think about them being powerless. But what if we approach the idea of power differently? Reality is we all have agency. God created all of us in his divine image. What prevents people from accessing their power is oppressive conditions. Jesus radically and thoughtfully challenged these oppressive institutions and establishments during his life and ministry. In our passage today from Luke, Jesus declares in the synagogue freedom and healing for the oppressed, the prisoners, and the blind. I personally love the part that said, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And not only did he call this out directly, he also demonstrated God's love and goodness through engaging in authentic relationships with others particularly those that were deemed worthless by society. This frustrated those with high opinions of themselves and their own righteousness. So when we think about centering those who are powerless, I would encourage us to think about the idea of power with instead. Power with is defined as shared power that grows out of relationships and collaboration. It is built on respect, mutual support, shared power, solidarity, influence, and collaborative decision-making. Power with is linked to social power, the influence we wield among equals. Rather than domination and control, power with leads to collective action and the ability to act together. This speaks to to the idea that Murray presents in his book, The Naked Anabaptist, where the church has the opportunity to move from control to witness. As Murray states, the church invested in enormous energy in exercising social and religious control, persecuting descendants and imposing its will on the poor and powerless. If we can change our mindsets to center the most vulnerable and oppressed and lean into the concept of power with rather than power over, then we are able to live into our original calling, which is to bear witness to the gospel. So how do we go about centering the most vulnerable and oppressed in a way that shares power? I would say we start with a curious mind. When we approach relationships and communities with curiosity, it allows us to understand reality more clearly than we could have otherwise. A friend recently sent me an article that talked about the state of mental health crisis we're experiencing today. Science has come a long way in giving us the resources to understand mental health and the resources needed to address it. However, this article is challenging our individualized approach to mental health supports and treatments by arguing that we are putting too much emphasis on changing the mindset of the individual and not enough on assessing the conditions of the world. I think this perspective can easily translate to anti-poverty work. To illustrate their point, they use the example of a wilting plant. If we have a plant that is suffering, its leaves are turning yellow and falling, we wouldn't just focus on what's going on with the leaves. We would look at the conditions of the plant. What does the plant need to survive or even thrive? It needs fertile soil, regular watering, bright sunlight, when we envision our most vulnerable as wilting plants, how can we improve their conditions? For example, the soil might be universal basic income, water could be access to food or quality childcare, and the sun supported social networks or loving relationships. If we approach working with the most vulnerable through the lens of curiosity, with a focus on the conditions of poverty, what would we learn? Some of you know that I work at Community Action Partnership of Lancaster, also known as CAP. We are a large nonprofit that serves the entire county through various programs and initiatives. Our mission is empowering community, driving action, and building partnerships to eliminate poverty. Some of the more notable programs that you may be familiar with are Head Start, WIC, food distribution, among several others. While these services are incredibly important for the stability of individuals and families, we also know that we need to invest in innovative solutions to tackle the complicated problem of poverty. One initiative we're investing a lot of time and effort and curiosity into is the Two-Generation Framework. The idea behind the Two-Gen Framework is that if we partner with parents and kids at the same time, to provide them with supports and interventions that align with their needs and meet goals they themselves have set, not us, they have set, there's a greater chance of interrupting generational poverty. But again, we are not just focusing on leaves here. We also need to look at the contextual conditions. So for example, if we're supporting a single mom whose desire is to pursue post-secondary education, to become a nurse. But there's a lack of affordable childcare close to her school. We would work with her in the short term to figure out childcare and then collaborate with the university to figure out how we can make sure their student parents have somewhere safe and close to leave their children when they're in class. And if we were to take this example of childcare a step further, then it would be advocating for universal pre-K at the state level or even federal level. Chestnut housing is another great example of changing conditions, providing safe, affordable homes to folks experiencing homelessness so that they may have the freedom to access their own power and agency to build a healthy and fulfilling life. Approaching this call to centering the poor and powerless with a curious mind also allows us to hear from them what it is they need or want in life. It allows us to ask the question, what does your best life look like? And for us to hear their answers. In the summer of 2021, we as a CAP agency challenged ourselves with this very notion of centering the folks we serve by asking our many program participants this very question. What does your best life look like for you and your family? And the answers we received were powerful. One program, our program participants' answers reflected the following themes. That emotional well-being, financial stability, and connection with others is the key to thriving and prosperous living. Some of the directly quoted insights were the following. Not having to worry about money and just being together as a family. Having a home that fits our family happiness, and stability. So my call to action for you today is this. Pick one condition, one issue that speaks to you to focus on. Perhaps it is fair funding for public schools, clean water efforts, or LGBTQA inclusion, or maybe it's affordable housing, anti-racism work, food justice, whatever it is. Approach it with a curious mind. Interrogate your assumptions around it and sit with it. Then courageously move from motion to action. As we are reminded in 1 John 3.18, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth.